Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 126, Loud as a Whisper. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. And I'm Ken Ray. And I'm Ken Ray. Why are they, wait, what, what did you do that three times? Why are there three of you? Well, that's my chorus. I mean, there's the dry comedic host, Ken Ray. Then there's the philosophical Ken Ray. And I'm often joined by an obscure pop culture references, Ken Ray, all of whom can be heard on just about every edition of Mission Log. Great. Today's episode is Loud as a Whisper, episode five, season two of The Next Generation Glad we get to do this one together, Ken, all of you, all the, all the Kens. <laughs> all of us together. See, I thought about just, well, I thought about doing something else, but mm. it might have been a little too ribald. Ribald? Oh. Ribald. Ribald? Ribald. Yes. Might have okay. been, might have been dirty. <laughs> I guess that'd be, the way, that'd be the way to say it. I was also working on getting an audio filter, and sorry, by the way, I know it's only loud as a whisper. I'll try to boost up the level next week. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about trying to get an yeah. audio filter that, uh, that only spoke to the ladies. Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, kind of like, uh, kind of like uh, Riva has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he he's got the passion version of Riva. Yes, <laughs> he, he does indeed. <laughs> he does. You know he doesn't have. He doesn't have action version. Oh no, he should have that. Well, yeah, he should. But I guess he does a lot of talking. He's uh, yeah. he's what's the old uh, what's the line from? Uh, oh, Kevin Klein said it when they were measuring him for his uh, for his uh, little figurine for the Wild Wild West. They were looking for the Artemis Pyle action figure, and he mm-hmm. said. Don't you mean in action figure? <laughs> well played, Kevin Klein. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So that's what Reva would need as well as the in action figure. Look for that at a uh, at a convention near you. I guess, by the way, that must have been the obscure pop culture references, Ken Ray, who referenced not only the Wild Wild West movie, but an action figure from the Wild Wild West movie. Yes, indeed. It's, it's, wow. it's like that. That guy just sneaks in, says a couple of words, and he's out. Ugh. All right. <laughs> well... Why don't you or one of the Kens tell people in our audience how to reach Mission Log? Come a little bit closer, baby. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us at Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Uh, our handle is Mission Log Pod at all those places. You can call us 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. All right, Ken. Well, uh, I guess I'll have to put on my trivia hat if I don't have a, a trivia avatar here of myself to do the trivia. So this will just be me doing trivia, not the other me or version of me doing trivia. All right. If you'll indulge me. Whatever. <laughs> oh great! Now we're now, now we're joined by apathetic board Ken. No, we don't have. No, I'm just I'm just saying you you make it sound like we don't all have this thing that Reva was talking about. Maybe I'm jumping a little too far ahead into the discussion part already. But when you're like, oh mm. no, it's just me. It's just me, man. Yeah, yeah. Please, they're, they're all just you, which means they're all you know. Go ahead. 
All right. So uh, this episode was directed by Larry Shaw. It is his only credit as a Star Trek director. And um, as we've been mentioning here in the introduction, this is an episode that uses uh, a theatrical construct, a theatrical device, the Greek chorus, originating sometime around or before about 700 B.C., used a lot less later, uh, but could be considered part of the evolution of musical theater and opera or, uh, or of course, that, uh, that great show Herman's Head. Uh, yes. You could also consider part of it. It also yeah. featured prominently in the Woody Allen movie, Mighty Aphrodite. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So it comes back from time to time. And uh, making up that chorus, the the three people who appear as the versions of Riva, speaking for Riva, we have uh, three actors, Randy Oglesby, Marnie Mossaman, and Leo Damien. Now, Oglesby would appear later on Deep Space Nine and Voyager in guest roles. He is a, a very prolific guest actor. He appeared also in the movie Independence Day. And uh, Marnie Mossaman has been married to John Delancey since 1984. So uh, they have been together since before they both did Star Trek in the 1980s. Um, now, the majority of the trivia here is going to be about the actor Howie Sego, who played Riva, because the more I looked, the more I dug, the more his story became that much more fascinating to me. So Riva, the character, is played by deaf actor Howie Sego, who actually suggested that Star Trek explore a plot with a deaf character. It was his wife, Lori's idea. She is a Trekkie. And uh, Sego took a meeting with Maurice Hurley in which they kicked around the idea of kind of an interstellar Henry Kissinger. Now, one of the roles that put him on the map was the 1986 staging of Ajax by Sophocles. And yes, you guessed it. That is a show originally written with a chorus in mind. The production was directed by Peter Sellers, not the actor. This is S-E-L-L-A-R-S, who built a career on doing very unconventional stagings of the classics. In this production of Ajax, the drama is played out as a post-Vietnam War military trial. Now, Siego is also an accomplished uh, director and writer in addition to being an actor, and uh, he was the first deaf actor to perform for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, where he is a company member. Now, when Siego played Achilles in the National Theater of the uh, Deaf production of the Iliad, play-by-play, I love this quote, Ken, Newsweek said, quote, not since Olivier's Oedipus has an actor come so close to the primal power of Greek tragedy. Hmm. That's, uh, that's pretty great. Yeah. If, if you're being compared in that fair light to Sir Lawrence Olivier. Um, now, there was uh, an idea in the script that uh, was originally uh, uh, put in there and then taken out at, uh, at Sego's insistence. The idea originally was that Riva would be forced to speak after the loss of his chorus. And uh, Sego was against the idea. So uh, this was very interesting to me. And I wanted to do a little research to figure out what the point of view was of why this would be offensive and why he would want that taken out. And I found uh, an interview with him from the Los Angeles Times from 1989. And he said this, uh, quote, to resolve the dilemma when he's cut off from communication, they wanted me, his character, to speak overnight. 
I told them that I couldn't do that because it would perpetuate the psychological harm that's done now in forcing deaf children to use their voice, whether they can or not. I didn't want hearing parents to use the show to perpetuate the oppression of their children. I grew up in an oral program where sign language was not permitted, he said. It was repressed. Meanwhile, at home, quote, I used homemade sign language with my brothers and my friends all my life. It was only when I went to college and learned standard sign language that I started to develop as a person. I'm still angry that I was repressed all those years of my education by too much emphasis on learning to speak rather than learning. And that's still going on in some schools. So I thought that was a really interesting and important bit of perspective to understand where he's coming from and why that seemingly simple change in the show had such a a, a profound importance to him. It's also interesting that, I mean, there's some stuff, and I think we actually got, uh, before we recorded this show, we got a mention from Mm -hmm. somebody on Twitter saying, is it it offensive at all that he's, like, using fake uh, fake sign language at some point Mm -hmm. and then using American sign at other points? Right, right. And, I mean, to me, it was sort of an interesting, uh, it seemed possible that that was sort of a difference that was letting people who might know American sign or standard sign, or I don't even know the proper term, I apologize, but that, that mm-hmm. might be letting people who understand that, you know, in on sort of the feeling of isolation that he might have had, like, you know, the, 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 the signs that he's using beforehand mm-hmm. are completely, completely foreign. They are, they are, in fact, made up. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting to find out that that's a part of his history as, as well. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, And it is worth mentioning that um, I've seen studies with different numbers on this, but uh, people who are deaf who read lips, um, I've read that anywhere from maybe a third to a half of what somebody is saying is actually comprehended by people who are reading lips. So they're really just sort of putting together a picture of what they can get by reading lips. And it's a very difficult thing to do. And even people who are really good at it, it's not a complete picture. So it's not really the most desirable or best way to communicate for somebody who is deaf. Seago says that he may get about half of what's being said by reading lips. Um, Now, Star Trek uh, The Next Generation Season 1 and Season 2 producer Maurice Hurley credited the writer's strike actually with the genesis of this story. So they were uh, the writer's strike that we had already discussed was in full effect and nobody was working on Star Trek. So here comes this call from this actor saying I, you know, I, I want to pitch a story. And normally that never would have been accepted. But because there is a strike going on and because there is the assumption that they were going into season two when the strike cleared up, Hurley was ready to hear some ideas. <laughs> so we have the strike to credit with the idea that this show got made at all uh, because they were open to the idea of hearing from people who weren't writers at the time. Now, the writing credit for the teleplay goes to Jacqueline Zambrano, who uh, had some just really random crew credits, but this is her first major produced work as a writer. And almost immediately thereafter, she wrote a couple of episodes of the show The Equalizer, which also had a guest appearance on a different episode from Howie Seagull. A planet is torn apart, ravaged by centuries of civil war, but you know that you are in for the best time, when you are spending it with the negotiating team. 
prologue. The Enterprise has been diverted from its usual poking around the galaxy. They are to pick up a negotiator, Riva, and take him to Soleus V, where some people are fighting over something. Riva is said to be the best, and Captain Picard will lead the team to greet him and bring him aboard. Troy and Worf will go as well, despite Worf's discomfort. Riva negotiated a number of treaties between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Act 1. On Ramadas 3, the away team is ignored for a bit. No one is there to greet them. Then in walks a red-headed and red-bearded fellow. He says nothing. Just looks over Worf, Picard, and Troy individually. Troy identifies him as Riva. He nods, but says nothing. Finally, the away team meets three other people. They are Riva's three-person chorus. And all Picard brought was a duet. It turns out that Riva is deaf. The three-person chorus speaks for him. It's a mode of communication that's been honed over generations and centuries. This sort of egghead-looking guy is the scholar. He represents the intellect and speaks in matters of judgment, philosophy, and logic. Also, he is the dreamer, the part that longs to see the beauty beyond the truth, which is always the first duty of art. You see, eh, save it, the Prince Charming-looking member of the chorus cuts him off. Artist, am I right? Anyway, guy number two says he is passion, the libido, the anarchy of lust, the romantic, the lover, the warrior, the perfect line which never wavers. The female of the bunch is that which binds all the others together. Harmony, wisdom, balance. Picard is fascinated and starts addressing the members of the chorus individually, which angers Riva. Speak to me! Speak only to me! Picard apologizes, and Riva says it's all good. There was one other notable exchange between Riva and Counselor Troy. He is excited, one might say, that he will get to spend time with an empath on this trip. Also, is it my imagination or is it always passion that speaks to Counselor Troy? Act 2. The Enterprise is on its way to Soleus V. On the bridge, Riva and his chorus introduce themselves to the bridge crew. While everyone's nice to everyone, Riva feels a special sort of connection with Geordi. He's blind and uses a visor in much the same way Riva has a chorus. It is a blessing to understand that we are special, each in his own way. Word. Picard says they have a briefing set up on the Soleus V conflict later, if Riva would like. In the meantime, he can head to his quarters if he likes. The Prince Charming member of the chorus asks if Counselor Troy might escort him. Picard says, sure, and the three of them, Troy, Riva, and Prince Charming, head that way. The other two chorus members hang back. They tend to be in the way at times like this. Not that much is happening. In Riva's quarters, it hints at feelings and an invitation to dinner, talk of the similarities between their two jobs, and an indication that, at some point, they would like to be alone. No other voices required. At the briefing, Riva says there's no need for this briefing. The factions on Soleus V have been fighting so long, it doesn't matter why they started. It's personal now, and their reasons for stopping have to be personal as well. It would be good to know why they suddenly want peace, but doesn't really matter. Riva will broker peace. He always does. Now, if you'll excuse me, I gotta get ready for dinner. At dinner... Well, one wouldn't say passion is dismissed, but the guy who speaks for passion leaves the room. Troy and Riva find a way to communicate that requires no words. Lots of hand gestures, though. Seriously, they're sort of charading their way through conversation. 
It's cut short, though, when the factions on Soleus V say they are ready to meet with Riva. Now. On the bridge, Riva tells the Solaris to knock off the fighting. They're brave warriors, but are they brave enough to talk? To listen? They knock off the fighting. Riva picks a place for them to meet on the planet, and they head that way. Act 3. Skittish members of the warring Solari factions approach. Awesome, says Riva's intellectual voice. You've taken a good first step toward peace. But one of the Solari freaks out. No! Never! He draws a laser and disintegrates Riva's chorus with one shot. His compatriot is outraged and kills the guy who killed Riva's chorus. That guy was a jerk. We really do want peace. Riker, Worf, and Riva beam out with the Solari screaming behind him that they need Riva. On board the Enterprise, Riva is obviously agitated and gesturing like crazy. No one knows what he's trying to say, though. Picard sends Data to learn as many sorts of gesture languages as he can. Riva's still losing it when Picard grabs his head, then grabs his hand, and tells him that he is not alone. We are all in this together now. Act 4. Combat is back in full effect on Soleus V, and Picard worries that without Riva's help, the warring factions may hunt each other to extinction. Data's still learning sign languages. Troy says Riva is withdrawn. All of his life he's been in control. Now he has no answers, and he doesn't know what to do. His confidence is shot. Dr. Pulaski says there's nothing she can do. So glad we have her here. Data's done learning sign languages. All five that might be helpful. Picard says, let's go talk to Riva. With Data to translate, Riva says, wow, was I arrogant or what? Now my chorus is dead and the situation is hopeless. They were more than his interpreters. They were his friends. They were part of him though he did not realize how much apart until now. Yeah, great, says Picard, but the fighting Solari still want you to help negotiate peace. Riva says, how can he? Picard says Data could translate, though Riva says, it's not the same. He's good, but Data cannot convey the necessary nuance. Troy says the Solari need him, though he says there is nothing he can do. He has to be taken home. In sickbay, Dr. Pulaski has some interesting news for Geordi. She can probably give him eyes. Like real, working, human eyes. Like the ones Q gave him that time. There's one problem, though. It might not work. Also, if we do it and it doesn't work, your visor won't work anymore either. Geordi says he'll think about it. Troy stops by Reva's quarters. So she is going to try to settle the conflict between the Solari... He seems to think that that's crazy, but she says somebody has to. She asks for help, but he says she'd be better off without him. She points out that she's never done anything like this before. Can he at least give her some tips? He says she has to find some commonality between the two sides. Get them talking, but more importantly, get them listening. The real secret, turn disadvantage into advantage. So she asks, why can't you do that? Why can't you turn your disadvantage into an advantage? Riva is intrigued. This would give them something in common, he says. He's not saying what it is he plans to do, but it does become clear he does plan to head back to Soleus V. Act 5. On the planet, Riva sets up the meeting place, then explains his plan. He'll teach the Solari sign language. It is turning a disadvantage into an advantage. While they are learning how to communicate with Riva, they'll be learning how to communicate with each other. And that is the first 
and most important aspect of any relationship. He'll signal, when he's ready to leave, the end. Ken, it may be a little too uh, inside baseball to talk about it, but um, I, I imagine that you're kind of excited like I am that when you when you write the, the show synopsis and you get down to Act 5 and you write just like four sentences and you go, wow, that, that's all it took to get through Act 5? <laughs> yeah. they, didn't, they didn't just save the entire story to cram into Act 5 and, and rush to the end? No. no we, just, we just wrapped it up. We're honestly, just, boom. My, my assumption is they have a certain number of avails that they have to sell each week and that's mm-hmm. the only reason there even is an act five i mean right. I, act five right. is, is completely superfluous he knows what he's going to do at the end of act four and the end of act five it's sort of like it's like a it's like a three minute the <laughs> and uh, you know i mean it's it's a it's a yeah but yeah. you know i like that i yes i especially like when you don't get to the very like you know we got three minutes left and it's like how many how many strings do we have hanging out here right although honestly right, right. there are a million strings hanging out in this episode oh there are it's there like, are a ton a, of strings so hanging in, the, out, yeah. in the beginning like Worf yeah. doesn't want to go and see uh reva why mm-hmm. not oh well because uh because uh, Riva was the one who negotiated a lot of the treaties between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. Yeah. Okay. And then you and, and then should somebody ask it? And this makes you angry. Why? Yeah, I was going to say, did he not? Yeah. Did he not do a good job at it? Because Worf's yeah. apparently like, oh, but if Riva turns his back on me, well, his backs, it turns out because <laughs> right, right. Any one of them would be able to go, hey. Although Riva might not hear that, but hopefully the gesticulation would, you know, let mm-hmm. him know that something was up. Yeah. Well, and even Picard says something to to Worf. He's like, "Oh, yeah, hey, I understand if you're upset about this, but <laughs> but no, but why? Why? I mean, you, you you guys are friends. You work together. You wouldn't be working together if it weren't for the thing." And yeah, uh, yeah. apparently not, though. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Um, hey, uh, so I really like the 3D holographic model mm-hmm. in Picard's office. Totally irrelevant to uh, even hear about the other story other than the relevance of, hey, look at this cool holographic model on Picard's desk. See, I'm not sure I agree with you that it's totally irrelevant, actually. I don't know if it's worth, you know, uh, being part of the discussion, the big discussion, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's also like a, like, a, like a nice moment between Picard and Troy at the very yeah, end. And I love, I love this yeah. moment. I, and, mm-hmm. you know, he actually says, look, I know you're an empath. I know you know that I think you do a good job, but it is important for me to say the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, good job. Um, he also gets a little testy with Riker in the beginning. Not testy yeah. exactly, but when Riker says, I, I, I really don't like the idea of you leading this away mission. And I believe uh, Picard's exact words were, oh, cluck, 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 number one. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Riker has no idea what he's talking about. He's like, you're being a mother hen. Okay, all of these things to me just sort of, they, they keep doing little things to fill out the Picard character. Mm-hmm. And it's not one of those things like, it's not like something from Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something like that where we find out something about a character and it's going to be hugely important later. It's mm-hmm. more like we're going to learn more about this guy as we go. He is going mm-hmm. to become a more fleshed out character than, say, another captain of another ship called Enterprise might have been. He's going to be a little mm-hmm. bit less cardboard. He's going to be a bit more human. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that the captain is just sitting in his in his quarters doing something that has nothing to do with anything. And he even tells Riker. I mean, this is not actually a dangling thing like we talked about with, uh, with Worf and that weirdness. Yeah. Or the eyes. By the way, uh, well, yeah, but we'll, what's, yeah. Up, what's up yeah. with that? Uh, when, in the when, middle of this episode, it it just. In fact, I am not a person who does not like Pulaski. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 
ambivalent, I guess would be the best way to say it right now. I don't remember hating her, except for the fact that she replaced Gates McFadden, which when I was 18 mm-hmm. was sacrilege. But <laughs> I'm not somebody who doesn't like her. She she she, she does not belong in this episode. There, she does nothing in this episode, except for maybe introduce this weird sort of, uh, this might become a thing in a later episode for Jordy. Yeah, yeah. But it might not. I mean, we're yeah. given no indication. I mean, it's it's almost like they had to fill four minutes or something. Well, yeah. oh, but, wait, yeah, really? yeah. I'm sorry, because I'm jumping to something else. Yeah, yeah, I apologize. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, to me, those little moments with Picard are just, you know, sort of uh, part of fulfilling a bigger, a bigger, a bigger plan for the character of just making him more human than than sometimes characters on shows like this can be. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I think they do that in many ways on Next Gen, and I think they do it very well yes. in many ways on Next Gen. This is just like Picard sitting at his desk going, I like science things. Here's a science <laughs> thing on my desk. All right, get to the story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, by the way, this has nothing to do with anything, number one. Right, right. Yes, yeah. actually- and I'd walk in like, oh, I like science things, too. I like how the planet's going around the thing. Okay, well, let's move on and talk about the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Science! Yeah. <laughs> um, it, so uh, there's a lot of Troy uh, moments in this episode, yes. but um, let, let's talk about the, the Klingon thing again, because the only reason that is brought up mm-hmm. is, is Troy doing yes. what she does, which is just, hey, I, I don't care if it embarrasses you. I'm just going to call out somebody's emotional state and make it public. And um, unless you're a guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless she never, you're a guest, she did not we'll, do that with the outrageous o- 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 O'Connor. Right, right. We'll keep yeah. that a little bit quiet. But, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately, Worf's tension had absolutely nothing to do with the story at hand, other yes. than just this little footnote. Um, there, there's the reference to Riva negotiating peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, at that moment, what you thought was going to lead into something like, oh, should we beam Worf down or not? And if we do, like you said, is he just going to leap at Riva and, you know, stab him or something? <laughs> <laughs> we don't, you know, but fortunately that didn't become a thing. But it really yeah. just seemed out of place. Troy just going like, uh, oh, hey, I'm I'm now going to say something and knowing Knowing that maybe you have a little difficulty with your emotions anyway, I'm just going to spread your business to everybody in the room. Yeah, I wonder why – you remember the episode where Worf became acting security chief? It was the one where um, – what is her name? Uh, oh, tall yeah. woman she, uh, with the hair. Good at judo. um, Yeah. yeah. Drug problem back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I I can't remember. Anyway, uh, the episode where she died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 Riker's like, all right, come on down to the planet with me, Worf, because you're a security guy, and we need security. And Worf's like, yeah, but now I'm like, you know, in charge of security, so it'd probably be better for me to be here. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously within Worf's power to not go into a situation that could be bad, right? Right. right. Yeah. I I would think you send a couple of red shirts at that point, or I guess oh, yeah. I guess they're gold yeah. uh, now. I I would say you send a couple of gold shirts at that point. You're like, you know what? Right. I'm going to be here doing some you know security stuff, right? But I'll send two of my best guys to uh, help you. Yeah. Meet another guy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Which you know it turns out there are four of him. So you know maybe it's good that Worf was there making things worse. Hmm. Potentially, yeah. potentially. Yeah. As you yeah. say, nothing even happened. Um, and speaking of nothing happening, I like how the, uh, and, I, and by the way, that's like in quotes. Um, I, I like how the, the prologue slash teaser segment just stops. 
yeah. in, in mid-stride. They, they beam down, <laughs> and there's a shot of an empty room. Yeah, well, no, there was a shot of the statue. But no, there yeah, was a shot of a statue. Mostly yeah. it's, yeah, mostly it's just them standing around. And, and go to credits, because like somebody is looking yeah. at their watch going, if yeah. we don't run the credits now, <laughs> we're not going to be able we're to run the credits time. ever. Yeah, yeah, but then they come back, and, and, it's, and they're still standing in an empty room with Picard going, yeah, nobody's even here to greet us. See, I, I might have actually done that before the opening credits. And mm-hmm. God knows, mm-hmm. it, people have been waiting to find out how I would direct Next Gen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it did seem kind of weird that they're like, yeah, you just kind of go into nothing, and then you come back with what would seem like a great stopping point, except that's apparently going to be our starting point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of odd. And and I thought that if Riva was so well known, like he's a really important guy, and he did this thing, and even Worf knows who he is and and has mixed feelings. Maybe not so mixed, but he's got feelings. Um, why is it so weird to everyone? Like nobody knows that he's deaf. Yeah. Nobody knows that he has a chorus that follows him around. Like somebody in a note somewhere would say, and the guy has an entourage. Yes. So especially where this has been going on for generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just like it, his whole line has no, um, doesn't have the um, ability to process audio. Right, it's, like it would be in the genetic in his line. Yeah, so you yeah. would have to put that in the writer uh, for the contract. <laughs> you would just think, say, you would think I, need, so. I need a dressing room. Why is he going to need the th- four rooms? How big is <laughs> exactly. this guy? What is, oh, yeah. oh, he's got three other, oh. Uh-huh. We, uh-huh. You know, I guess we could have asked when he said he needed four rooms. Huh. Yeah. I guess. And there's that, a lot of dry cleaning with all the robes. Yeah, you know, that's you know. on us. We should mm-hmm. have really put two and two. Oh, two and two. There it is again. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will tell you that uh, there is uh, a, a part of Riva that works very well, and that is the part that thinks that Deanna Troy is fine. Yes. Seriously, I mean, he makes the chorus go away. Yes. And as, uh, as um, it's not passion, but it's... Um, uh, it's oh, harmony. Gosh. It's the one it's that brings harmony. them together, yeah. Harmony, and she's the one who says that they become an encumbrance when it when it's at moments like this yeah. and um and in fact reva he, he seems just a little pissed when he has to interrupt dinner with the work that he is supposed to do i know yeah when, when work that he is actually there for comes up he has to stop playing with his food yeah and it's like oh i'm, I'm gonna show you my displeasure <laughs> by tearing this herb right that, throwing that, it on my plate probably i mean we have knives and forks maybe i shouldn't have been picking it up off the plate anyway <laughs> i will say it's a fascinating idea though i like the idea that you know you could just dispense with um reason <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in situations like this i you know if i could have yeah. done that in my 20s i would i would have been a much more entertained individual i won't say happy necessarily because who yeah. knows how things might have gone but right. I, I will say I let thought get in the way of a lot of interesting times. And if, if, if I had had the option of just like, oh, I can turn off this part of my brain and this part of my brain or even just send them out of the room. It's like, you know, that's that's Reva deciding ahead of time. I know how I want this to go. So I'm not going to let little things like should I get in the way. So let me take <laughs> should I and send it to another part of the ship. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. a Yeah. I'm not saying I, that's necessarily good for people. I am saying. I know at least one guy who would, you know, maybe like to have tried it at one point. I, I wish I could do that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you said that out loud. Go ahead, yeah. please. Yeah. Continue. Hey, um, yeah. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Should I, though, Ken? No, Should I? I doubt it. Probably not. No. Um, uh, Riker says Solari don't seem like likely candidates for peace. And I thought, wow, you're really your mission is to bring the negotiator there. And mm-hmm. you've already given up. You're like, yeah, they're just they, they don't look like good candidates for peace. We, well, we should be. they have been fighting for one thousand five hundred years. They have, but yeah. hey, they but now they have a reason. Apparently. Is that right? Was it fifteen centuries? I thought that's what he said. 15. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. That's, if I'm doing my math correctly, it's one thousand five hundred years. I would say at that point, probably not the greatest uh, greatest um, candidate for peace. Yeah, there was a subtle look that Riker gave Worf. Did you see that? When, <laughs> no, when I he, love the look that Worf gave Riker, actually. He gives, well, he, Worf, yeah, Worf he gave Riker. Look like, what? Yeah, <laughs> right. But right so Reva said, says, listen, don't, it, it, this is going to be tense. Don't do anything, even if provoked. Even if provoked. And, and, and Riker and, gives Worf the look. Right. And then, but then Worf gives him the look like, what, like I'm, me? Me? <laughs> I'm cool as a cucumber, dude. Me, the the guy who tried to kill you two episodes ago. <laughs> and the yeah. guy who's kind of upset that we're being led here by the guy who led my people into peace. But I'm cool, man. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're looking at. And uh, speaking of provocation, I mean, it just it all goes perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. No problems there uh, until the three members of the chorus are just evaporated in a gruesome, dramatic way. Yeah. Although, you know, I got to say, you say it's gruesome, but it just it's again, it's Christmas for me <laughs> because that's 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 what happened to Tyrell, right? It is, but we didn't get the screaming. That's what yeah, I missed. I missed true. the we screaming well, of Captain Tyrell just, yeah. Oh, he, he knew it was coming, though. That's right. It's not Tyrell. It's Tyrell. Tyrell yeah. is in Blade Runner. Right. Tyrell is in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, which for people who don't know is my Christmas movie. That's what I was saying. It's not like, you know, oh, somebody disintegrates. It's Christmas for me. It's No, it reminded me of my Christmas movie, <laughs> which almost as inexplicably as Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're on the planet, and, and this kind of, this was a thing that I had thought of before and I thought of in other episodes, but this seemed like as good a place as any to put it. I always wondered how the transporter chief does his job or her job, because we, we've met female transporter chiefs as well, when an away team announces a new number to beam up, especially when there are more people around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, how do the transporter chief know to beam up Riva, Riker, and Worf? After Riva's chorus were killed and not pick up the warring Solari who were there. So think about it. You beam down and you got six people. Three of them get killed. But now you got three new people with guns drawn. Right. And Riker's like, beam us up. And, and O'Brien's like, oh, yeah, OK. I see six bodies right there. Here you go. <laughs> That's Ooh. an interesting question. I thought yeah. you were going to ask about, you know, are they just showing off when they beam them down right next to a cliff? <laughs> yeah, right. Because at the end of the right. show, they do that, too. They beam down, they do. and they're, like, yeah. looking over what's got to be several stories of nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're just, like, standing right there on the edge. I think I might have a word with, you know, whomever. Because yeah. <laughs> right. he still doesn't have a name, but I think he, he might he have does a not. You know, we were going through engineering people, like, left, right, and center. I know you've mm-hmm. been transporter chief for, like, four episodes now, but believe me, pal. Yeah. Pull that kind of stunt again, and, and we could have... Uh, Oh, what was that guy's name? Argyle. Thank you. Yes, yeah. we could have Argyle in. He's got the accent. He's got the look. Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. dude, just just watch yourself and put me like three feet further back from right. the edge next time. Don't like heights. You knew that. I told you before you beat me down. I don't like heights. Um, and similarly, how does our un 
named transporter chief know where to put the table and torches because they get down there and Riva tells the away team, okay, the table should be over there and the torches should be over there. And they're like, beam it down. Boom. It's in the perfect place. Well, so, as, as yeah. you pointed out, we left ourselves about 45 seconds for act five. <laughs> we did. I don't yeah. think they wanted to spend, although they yeah. could have added it a little bit like, oh no, I wanted it three feet over there. You big guy and you robot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Move Get to that. moving. Yeah, and and at the end, you know, you said that Riva will signal when he's ready. I, I, I I'm worried about the guy. I am because I I hope that he has. Well, I assume he's had as a communicator of some sort, something. But I really feel like he needs maybe a phaser, maybe a, a flare gun, a sandwich, something because he's going to be down there for months. They yeah, said that's trying true. to teach this language, and we don't know that they're receptive to learning a new language. We don't even know for certain that they're on their way. No. I, well, did they say they were on their way? No, they said it would probably be a while after what happened last time. So, yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's, no, there's no telling how, how soon that'll be. Here's what we know. The Solari can actually get in touch with the Federation or yeah, with Starfleet. Right. So if all goes well, then Reva will be able to get in touch with them. And if, if things don't go well, well, come on, it's Star Trek. It's not like we're ever coming back to this planet again. I think I may apply for a job in Reva's chorus. I can convey the emotional nuance needed. Let me demonstrate. I am really, really happy. And now, I am really, really sad. It is the use of the modifiers that sells it. So can I stumbled over the... Um the, the names of the positions of the chorus uh, a moment ago, but we have uh, we have the three. We have the dreamer slash philosopher. We have passion slash libido, and then holding it all together, we have harmony slash wisdom. Kind of a take on id ego super ego. Um, we could even steer it uh, maybe with a little more difficulty into the ethos pathos logos. Which entirely would be appropriate for a guy like Riva, because in terms of making the argument, why do we work for peace and how will I get there? Well, how will I argue the point? Will it be the ethical argument um, or the the logical argument? You know, so you you could certainly make that argument as well. I, I'm fascinated by the chorus because I kept wondering if they had lives of their own like can they call in sick (laughs) and does simply the weight of knowing everything in Reva's head wear on them like there are jobs where it's hard to leave the job at work when you get home but your job if you are one of these chorus is to have this sort of psychic connection to this guy all the time and uh, I would think that it would be incredibly difficult well, to have a psychic connection with the guy all the time in public, I mean, one assumes mm-hmm. when he's, you know, when he's at home, like, do they cook for him, too? Because he's obviously uh, somebody of, of, of fairly high importance, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know why I assume he has servants. I don't see him going into the kitchen at two in the morning to make himself eggs. I, I see somebody right. else doing that for him, maybe. Well, I think that's partly due to the actor here, because uh, uh, how we see go plays this with presence yes and, and so yeah you, you can sort of infer a lot of that just by his his body language and and his sort of being in the scene he's he's great i'm spoiling that part of the review to say he's really great in conveying that mm-hmm. 
What I found interesting, the, the part that interested me about the chorus, though, and you say, you know, do they get days off? Mm-hmm. I actually found myself wondering about, you know, the society on Riva's homeworld. So he's got a chorus which serves as his interpreter and voice, just as their ancestors did for his ancestors. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's what these three wanted to do, because that's, yeah. you know, that's what they're doing, apparently. Yeah. And I hope their spouses are cool with that and with the fact that, you know, that's what their kids are going to be doing, because they apparently have spouses or mates, since mm-hmm. they have to have kids to eventually speak and interpret for Riva's kids. Right. Yeah. Unless yeah. they're using artificial insemination, in which case, you know, uh, the spouse dodge, dodges a bullet. Or or, <laughs> right. or there is no spouse, you know, whatever. Um, but what if their kids want to do something else? Is that an option? I mean, there, it, it's not, and this is not, this is not a part of the show at all. This yeah. is not a part yeah, of the show yeah. at all. In fact, these people are nothing to Riva. They are his voice box. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and, yeah. and then later, and, and, and it's, I like the fact that he did come around to his own hubris, to his own, um, um, well, hubris is the only word I can think of right now. Mm-hmm. His own it being so nah, not aloof. What's the word? I had it. Arrogant. Arrogant. Yeah. There Comes around go. to his own arrogance. He's like, oh man, they were part of me, and I I didn't even realize that they were friends, but they were more than that. Mm-hmm. What is he like? Thirty <laughs> five. Right. Seriously, it takes yeah, him yeah. that long to realize how important these things were. I just thought they were my mouth, and it turns yeah. out they were actually people mm-hmm. who I never bothered treating like people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what he says. I mean, now, you know, for better or for worse, we only have encountered these four people from Riva's homeworld. Right. We don't know what the division of labor is like, and we don't know how many people do hey, that's true. one maybe, job versus the other. Maybe he is cooking for them. Maybe. That is actually possible. I should I should not assume that it's a, it's a sort of enforced serfdom. Yeah. Even though that's... Sort That's kind of, of the impression like. that we're given in the show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, well, Dad, what if I want to say something for myself someday? Shut your mouth. Mr. Riva's been good to you. You <laughs> speak for Mr. Riva, and that's it. Right. I mean, right. just, yeah, the, I got an ugly feeling off of <laughs> I, I did too, but, but you know, you give it the benefit of the doubt, and you think, okay, every member of the chorus, this is a thing that they choose to do, and when they're on the job doing that. What makes that, you think so, though? Their ancestors. You see, that's the thing. It's not people have always done this. It's not that there is a guild of people that do this. Yeah, yeah. Their yeah. ancestors spoke for my ancestors, he says. I mean, th- yeah. I don't get the sense that they're, like, choosing to do it at all. I mean, I'm not saying that they're against it either. I mean, they don't show right. up in chains, you know. Right, right. But, I mean, it doesn't even seem like there was ever a, no, I want to be an architect. Yeah. <laughs> in your spare time. In the meantime, listen quietly to nothing because he might be saying something to you. Well, hopefully there is a surplus of chorus. Uh, of people who have this ability and you could theoretically pick and choose to do that job. And then hopefully, hopefully leave that job at work when you go home or when you're pushed away because it's time to have dinner with Deanna Troy. It's business time. That's business (laughs) time. Yeah. 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 Um, But there is something that I I thought was, you know, maybe not the entire point of this episode, but it it struck me that the struggle to express oneself, um, words sometimes being an inefficient way to do so, is always relevant, and it is perfectly relevant today. There are more words available now at any given time 
than any other time in history. You, you are confronted with a ton of information and we constantly struggle over meaning and intent. Um, Reva brings this up when he talks about data. He says, data is a fine machine, but he cannot take the place of my chorus, uh, meaning that data can't express the, the emotion of something that Reva is trying to say. Although Reva expresses himself emotionally quite well, particularly in that scene after the chorus had died, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, but it was interesting then that Reva gets to control the conversation by forcing them to learn sign. You know, whether it was just on the enterprise by by getting data to learn sign, which is an easy task for him, but then he's able to control the conversation on Solaris by getting these people to speak his language. And that, of course, is the the parallel for the the process of negotiation that he's doing as well. Um, And and I, I mentioned that earlier about how Riva would have been forced to learn uh, or forced to speak after the chorus is killed and how they changed that in the script. And I think that makes for a much, uh, a much more interesting version uh, in, in what we get to see here, where then he is the person who, as we say, takes a disadvantage and makes it an advantage by literally getting them to speak his language. Because um, once you do that, well, you've you've got a certain level of control there. Um, so those were uh, a couple of points that that stuck out to me. It's interesting that you keep saying it's a level of control, though. I mean, it really is. Uh, it's finding common ground, I think, more than it is a level of control. Right. Because well, I mean, I, he is he's not. Look, he's never had to teach anybody sign either, as far as we know. So, I mean, this is going to be all three parties kind of meeting, meeting in a um, meeting in a new place and then, mm. you know, learning to communicate that way. He's having to learn to communicate as much as they are, because while he knows exactly what he wants to say and exactly how he wants to say it, he's going to have to figure out how to get them to know that, too. Yeah. Well, and I don't mean control as an inherently negative connotation. OK. What I mean is that, well, if he if Riva gets to set the boundaries and and set up the conversation then the conversation will ultimately have to go through him i mean it, it, the, the words that he teaches them will be the only words that they're able to use to communicate the various sides of the story hmm. so so there there is um if if control sounds too negative, then maybe the correct word for it would be um, at least the the boundary of the parameters of the conversation now have certain limits that are apparently going to be very different if it's just the Solari arguing with Solari. They have their own language for what they've been doing to each other for 15 centuries. Now you introduce somebody new who's saying, not only are we going to have this conversation, we're going to have this conversation in a new language. You know, if you want to put that into present day Earth, pick pick your favorite group of (laughs) warring, you know, warring tribes who have been at each other's throats for, you know, give it a century, give it a millennia, give it however long you want. And they have their own way of describing what the problem is between them. They have their own way of describing why they're at war. But if you strip that away from them and have an outsider say, no, this is the way that we'll contextualize it. Well, 
it's a pretty big leap of faith to think that they would actually listen to that and follow along with it. But it is an interesting approach to the problem to say we're going to redefine how we talk about the conflict and redefine then how we achieve a peace. Because hopefully that resolution then sounds a lot less like a compromise that that hurts one of those groups in the process. Hmm. It takes that outsider to redefine it. I got I got to say I like the simplicity with which uh, Riva views their war actually. I mean oh, cuz yeah. yeah. I, I don't know maybe it is the whole disadvantage to advantage thing where they've got this new problem that they have to figure out which is how they're going to communicate with this guy because they believe he's got some kind of magic. I mean it's not it's not a huge leap of faith at this point to say that you know they're going to find their way to peace because they have called for peace. They have asked for the guy that they think can do this. Well, if they think that there's a guy who can do it, then it's pretty much done. I mean, what they got to go through now is the steps, but they are at a place where they want peace and they 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 want this guy who they think has some incredible peacemaking ability. And all he's really got is a different way to look at it and then a way to get them to look at it a different way as well. I'm mm-hmm. huge into his simplicity of the whole thing where they're like, oh, so here's how the war started on the Enterprise. They're like, so here's how the war started. He's like, yeah, save it. doesn't matter how the <laughs> yeah, war yeah. started because this has been going on for 1,500 years now. It does not matter how the war started. And Riker says it's personal. And, and Reva says, right. So we have to make their reason to stop personal as well Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be neat if we just go ahead and get to that point in a lot of the wars that we have currently a lot of the Mm -hmm. fighting that we have Mm -hmm. currently i mean it may be about well a long time ago this guy did this and that guy did that whatever and that's not really what it's about anymore it's really just about you know i i hate you and i have hated you for so long and i'm going (laughs) to keep hating you until i can kill you and everybody's just like you and you know the person on the other side is like funny story me too, you. <laughs> I mean, it's not about what it was about anymore. It's about it's about yeah, hate. Yeah. And I love yeah. the fact that Reva is able to, you know, basically say, look, yeah, okay, what was it about? Oh, was it about a piece of land? Was it a relic? Yeah, right. Or was it a cape? Did somebody call somebody something? It, it's not about that anymore. It's just about the fact that they are fighting. They've been fighting so long, they don't know how to not fight, and they need to stop. And yeah. I, I really loved that simplicity of the whole thing, because... I mean, if you could boil it down to that simplicity in um, in, in a bunch of other situations, uh, then you might actually be able to go, wow, this is dumb. But try that at the UN. <laughs> try, <laughs> try that at the UN, just getting up on stage and going, hey, you know what's stupid? This. So knock it off. One might even say that it's very elementary. And and I would, you know, even and especially for a guy like Picard, who I think has already found ways to talk his way to peace amongst others he he's he's very good at this you know and even though he says at the very beginning that their whole job is to stay out of it mm-hmm. um picard maybe in a different season in a different story he would be the guy making this kind of negotiation using this exact same tactic um let's talk about another tactic here because i'm curious to hear your take on it um was deanna just manipulating reva by saying that she will take over the peace negotiation. Um, She's the one who gives him the pep talk. Why can't you do that? Why can't you turn your disadvantage into an advantage? And I wondered if this this was going to be a thing. She would actually be the one to try to be the negotiator now if Riva has given up and says, I want to go home. Or was this just playing him? If... 
if she was playing him, then it was done very subtly, both for it was done very subtly in the script. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the sense. You know, sometimes in TV shows or in movies, somebody will be trying to trick somebody into do some to doing something, and then you'll mm-hmm. get sort of a knowing look afterwards, right. or you'll get a "I thought you'd," you know, or anything like that. I got the sense that she was really desperate, and, and because she says, "Look, I'm going to go down there and do this," and Reva's like, "Well, that's dumb," and she's like, "Well, mm-hmm. somebody has to." Mm-hmm. And he's like, he starts sort of giving her little tips every now and then. And then she, I feel, I actually felt her level of frustration at the task that was now before her ratcheting up. I didn't get a, I didn't get a, you know, a sense of her trying to trick him into that. Mm-hmm. Now, now maybe she's just that good and she just played it that close to the vest. But honestly, my feeling was that no, she was ready to do it. She was ready to go down and, and try to negotiate that. And it was only in having the discussion that Reva actually came to it himself, which, I mean, she was happy to have happen. Yeah. But I didn't think she was playing him. I, re- I thought she was really going to go down there and, look, they're about to kill each other anyway. How much worse yeah. could it be? <laughs> Except she might die, but, you know. Yeah. I, I felt that way the first time I watched it, that um, that this was all on the level. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was after two or three times watching it that I thought, well, is is there the possibility of another layer to this of her coming to him, knowing that he has feelings for her, knowing that they've had this very interesting emotional connection? Mm-hmm. Um, is this just another way to hopefully get him to participate? He participates to the extent that he is going to give her advice, but then she sort of lets him talk himself into being the person to go back to his job and carry out the negotiation. You can make the case either way, but where there was no yeah. wink at the camera or where there was no, I told you so, um, I, I think you, I honestly think you can make the case either way. Yeah. There's, and, no, and, and, there's no evidence that it's either one. Yeah. And I'm glad for that because yeah. that's something that in TV and film, anybody who lies or anybody who is manipulating somebody else it is done with a wink to the camera. Right. And, People in real life are very good liars. <laughs> so it's almost <laughs> more interesting to see something played a little it, more realistically. I feel like we're learning more about you this episode <laughs> than we're learning about Star Trek, honestly. Oh, I wish I could turn off this thing and people uh, lie like dogs really well. And, no, 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 no. People are, you know what I'm saying? People are good at lying. If, if you're. I, yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in a movie or in a TV show, the minute somebody has to tell a lie, they get all flustered and they indicate to the audience, and now right. I'm telling a lie, and the person that they are telling the lie to has no idea. Yeah, you get this whole don't yeah. throw me in the briar patch moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is not, yeah, generally speaking, yes, one of the horrible failings of Man of Steel. But, you know, we can talk about <laughs> that in our Man of Steel podcast coming up in 2053. Oh, I can't wait. Suddenly lacking intellect, passion, and harmony, there may still be things for Reva to tell us. Let us see what John and Ken took away. Well, here it is, that part of the show where we are almost out of show. But before we run out of show, we try to figure out what the messages, morals, and meanings of a given episode are, preferably the episode we were just talking about, and whether or not the whole thing stands the test of time. John Champion, loud as a whisper. Is this an episode that holds up as far as you're concerned? I hate saying what I'm about to say. Wow. Because, all right, because. Yeah. 
the word interesting mm-hmm. is the kiss of death. It's because it's the least committal word that you can say about a show or or a a play or a movie or anything or a piece of art. Hey, how did you like it? It was interesting. Well, you know, it's better than sucked. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it could have sucked in new and interesting ways, Ken. Um, I'm okay with that, though. I mean, seriously, it's and forgive me. I'm just going to keep referencing other movies all throughout. I walked out of the movie school days hating it. The first mm-hmm. time I saw it, I walked out of the movie school days absolutely hating it. Mm. And a week later, a friend of mine and I were still talking about it. Mm, yeah. And like every time we saw each other, we were still talking about the movie. So I, first of all, I came to respect it a lot more once I realized we can't talk about anything else. Uh, but the other thing is, if it's interesting, then even if you don't like it, it's still, you know, still giving yeah. you something to do, which well, is kind of neat. And this episode didn't really drag up a strong reaction from me one way or the other of Ah. loving it or hating it. And I think that's the problem. So then I'm left back with interesting. And I think Mm. this is a show with a lot of interesting ideas. And it's a show with very interesting characters and an interesting premise. But at the end of the day, I don't think it holds up as a particularly great episode. And, And I mean that it's a not great episode in terms of being incredibly well done or incredibly poorly done. We could make fun all day of episodes of Star Trek that we didn't like. Um, This is not an episode that I didn't like, but it's also not an episode that I loved. So I'm just sort of stuck right in the middle thinking, well, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. I found interesting ideas in it, and I certainly liked the actor in it. Um, But I am firmly on the fence about whether or not it holds up and whether or not I liked it as a show. I think, you know, to be generous, I I would have to say, sure, you know, it's not bad, Mm -hmm. but it's just not great. Um, And they didn't do anything that... I thought was incredibly stupid or offensive along the way. Sometimes Star Trek will do something. You just, man, why did they do that dumb thing? Like, like put a lawyer and a shower curtain and, uh, and then just ruin my whole experience of, uh, of the moment. But there was no lawyer and a shower curtain in this. Um, so how do you feel, Ken? It's fine. I mean, and that really is, I mean, it's, it's fine. I don't want to fault an episode for not being one of the best episodes ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you say it, it's not awful, but it's not great, well, I mean, that leaves you with fine, which, mm-hmm. which I think it is. I mean, as far as messages and things like that, I mean, I like the diversity message in the whole thing. You know, mm-hmm. just because someone is deaf doesn't mean that they can't do stuff. In Earth's history, the line of Hanover, where hemophiliacs, they ruled. There's a planet mm-hmm. where, you know, the people with no limbs rule. Disability doesn't necessarily mean inability is a possible message there. And so it gives mm-hmm. you that. And then I like his whole, I don't want to say dumbing down of war, but I mean, I like his whole dumbing down of war, right? <laughs> it's not about who did this and what this is and what this means today and all of that. It's really about you don't like him, you don't like him, and now you both realize you're on the verge of extinction, need to find a way out of it. So yeah. there's your way out of it. Okay, good. Yay. So I mean, it's got it's got interesting messages. None delivered in the same you know with the same gravitas or with the same you know fervor as let's say the Corbin might maneuver, mm-hmm. or even an episode that you absolutely hated. Um, 
Oh, the one with yeah, the, the flag. No, I oh, love Omega I, Glory. Omega Glory. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, one day I will get you. I, I, <laughs> I have to write the Gorgon's book. That's what I have I to know, do. I, I have know. to write the Gorgon's book, and you'll and you'll see the beauty <laughs> of, uh, of of his messaging in that horrible horrible episode if you're wearing a shower curtain when you deliver it to me or do a dramatic reading from it even no, better I'm, I'm thinking about the next time we see each other i'm just saying <laughs> it's, i mean so it's fine it's it's not bad does it hold up yes is it stellar no is it terrible no now forgive me i kind of jumped i mean i used some of the messages in it to maybe justify it being fine um mm-hmm. what other were there other messages that you picked up or that you want to make sure that people uh, people see yeah, you know, it, there was a thing in here that that kind of goes along with what you were hitting on uh, with a disability, not necessarily meaning inability. And if you extrapolate that out to every individual that, that we're presented with here, there's this message about being who you are, but also exceeding who you are. You know, we, we, we take Riva, who's great, who has the rug pulled out from under him. He loses his confidence and... There's kind of the understanding that, yeah, we we get that Picard in that terrific moment grabs him and says, look, we're in this together. We understand what's going on, but we will help you and you can do this. You you can you can overcome this problem that you're having right now. And I don't mean the problem being the disability, but the problem being the the blow to his confidence that mm-hmm. he just took. Um you quoted the line earlier in your recap. It is uh, a blessing to realize we are special, each in his own way. Might sound a little cheesy. Might sound like something you get on a greeting card, but it works very well here. Um, turning disadvantage into advantage. Um, you know, again, this goes back to the first line that I had. Riva has seemingly had so much taken away from him, but. He overcomes that. He finds a new way to redefine the problem to make it a lot less of a problem. Um, and then let's talk about that just a little bit, the, the parallel between Riva's disability and Jordy's, which I found interesting, if a little ham-fisted the way it played out. Um, I like the conversation between Jordy and Pulaski, even if this was as you saw it, just an out-of-place thing for Pulaski to be doing in this episode. It's like they just were, as you said, short a scene and kind of yeah. stuck one in there. But I thought it raised some interesting ethical questions, you know, the, the implications of fixing Jordy's eyes. Um, Jordy is somebody who, even though he has expressed discomfort and, and problems with his visor, He's a guy who likes who he is, mm-hmm. and he is used to the idea of the visor being the way he sees the world. We even got those shots, remember, last season where he's walking through the damaged ship, sending that video feed back to the Enterprise. We get to see the world the way that he does. So what if you take that away from him and just say, OK, well, now you're normal. You know, big quotes around normal. Now you're like everybody else, but now there's something that isn't making you the way that you defined yourself. Yeah, but why are you okay with that in this episode? I mean, we got a little hint of something with Worf a couple of episodes ago. I think it was the one where you thought, you know, it was the thing on the holodeck with Worf and Riker, and you thought, wow, this is going to lead to something, and it doesn't. Yeah. That, at least, was more in context than this. 
I mean, it's almost like it's almost like they had to either they had to fill four minutes or they had to give Diana Moldau or something to do with this episode. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not a good discussion. I'm not saying it's not an important discussion, it, but it's like somebody dropped a post-it note in somebody else's book. I mean, it just it comes out of nowhere. It goes back to nowhere, it seems to me. Now, again, this may be something that will come up in later episodes, but it was just it. W- I mean, it, I don't know why this happened here. I'm not saying well, I don't know it, why it happened. I'm saying I don't know why it happened here. Yeah, for for dramatic purposes, it, it doesn't fit. But I think for the purpose of the character, I mean, here we have our A plot with our guest star who is a character with a disability. And we're showing throughout the show mm-hmm. how even through what is seemingly a disability and then compounding that problem by taking away his way of expressing himself for centuries, apparently – Taking that away, now he's got a new thing to overcome, a new a, a new thing to do. Jordy, well, he's presented with uh, not not the same idea necessarily of, of taking away his vision, but here's a different way than to look at your seeming disability, and he gets to contemplate that. Okay, maybe my problem is, and I think I just hit on it with what you just said. You said mm-hmm. we've got an A plot. Yeah. But you never said we got a B plot, and the reason is because we don't. What we've got right. is an A plot, and then we've got like a bunch of stuff that kind of happens that gets yeah, mentioned, yeah, yeah. right? Like, yeah. oh well, Worf, you apparently have a problem with there being peace between the Klingons and the Federation. But let's not talk about that. Uh, Picard, you've got this science thing going on, and that has nothing to do with anything. And Jordy, you, uh, well, that really doesn't have anything to do with anything. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's. I mean, there's. The B plot is maybe what's going on with the Solari, but even they are even they're part of the A plot. Yeah, but but at least they do tie in somehow. Maybe that's the B plot, but then you've still got A plot, B plot, and how many minutes do we have left? Uh, yeah. let's, let's see. <laughs> Can you make a model of a thing with a thing and going around a thing? Okay, yeah. good. That's a minute. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's and and honestly, we're spending a lot of time talking about it that it doesn't deserve. I mean, it's not bad. It's just weird. Yeah. I guess that would be the best way to put it. But that's true of like so much of the other stuff that we've hit on in this episode, it seems. And yet it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So from a fine episode to uh, another fine episode, we hope, or maybe great, or maybe terrible. We'll find out when we go to The Schizoid Man. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, online at trek.fm. And finally, for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. And transmission. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. 
That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.